Welcome to the Writing Block Podcast, where we talk all things writing and indie publishing. Today's episode is all about setting the mood in your scenes. I'm Jackie Castle, and I'm hosting today with Michael Hayes, and we're happy to be joined by guest author Sarah Bond. How's everyone doing today? Hey, I'm good. Hooray! This would be great. Thanks. Yeah, this is going to be a fun topic. Uh, Well, let's take a minute, and Sarah, why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you write? Well, I'm Sarah Bond. I just published my first novel. Um, Came out, oh gosh, a week and a half ago. It's Gravity's Air. It's a space opera uh, about family and identity and war and very fast-paced, high-octane and a lot of fun and and a lot of drinking involved. So, (laughs) Very cool. Very nice. Congratulations on the release. Thank you so much. It's exciting. Yeah, a week and a, week and a half. That's awesome. That's still fresh. That's Oh, yeah. No, I'm on, I'm on the come down. I'm on the downhill slope where you just go, oh, God, is that it? <laughs> <laughs> just breathe. Enjoy it for a little while. So today's topic is kind of a wide umbrella. I think we're going to talk about, you know, creating the mood within our scenes and then also what we do to create the mood for ourselves as writers. <laughs> yeah, that's a, <laughs> those are two, two very different things. Yeah candles, uh, <laughs> turn on the music. So I thought it'd be fun um, to have we, where the three of us are sci-fi writers and then Michael writes short stories, which is kind of a skill unto itself to set the scene in a short in story awe. very quickly. So he can talk about that a little bit as well. So I guess let's just dive in. Are there any tips that come to mind that you guys use to um, switch from you know, different moods within your scenes. Yeah, I have I have entire playlists on Spotify for action scenes, for romance scenes, for for death scenes. That one's really morbid. <laughs> so one of my favorite things to do in writing is to write in very loud, talkative places. I go to bars and so I can tune out words so easily uh, through my ears. So I, I can just shut everything out and just absorb the ambient feel. So I don't, I don't require acoustic or or no words or anything like that. Um, so I'll, I'll pick. Like right now, I'm writing a book with uh, a lot of Mazzy Star mm-hmm. <laughs> as my background music. So is the book itself then turning out to be like more kind of mellow and 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 kind of soothing, heartfelt? Oh, not at all. It- <laughs> I was just curious because the the other book, the book you've released, sounds you know like big adventure and um, you know not Mazzy Star. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that the previous book I definitely used a lot of the Killjoys soundtrack. I don't know if y'all have seen that show on Sci Fi, but no, it's a you? oh, it's this great show about um, they're essentially bounty hunters. So you get a lot of driving rock and techno, and, and that's a lot for high action. But no, even writing with Mazzy Star, I think my character is drawn to it because she is high strung and needs something to bring her down. Mm. And I guess it gets me in her her headspace. And I, I just wrote a karaoke scene. <laughs> they, they have a karaoke night. And so I just got to listen to all the really bad karaoke music and sing along as I'm writing. Oh, I, that's fun. You actually put on like the karaoke background stuff. That's like the. Oh, yeah. No, I, I chose the top 10 most hated karaoke songs. So it's like got the, the Casio tones to it, not like the actual like <laughs> instrumentation. It's like, you know, 80s piece of plastic keyboard. Yeah. Yeah. That's there was awesome. a lot of Muzak Neil Diamond. It was great. Ah, that would drive me crazy. But Journey. Oh, yeah. It got me in that irritated space. It was perfect <laughs> but I, I was gonna say but i have to try it because i still have to try the thing i saw recently that somebody said it was they found it extremely irritating but if you put your um if you set up your document to be in 14 point comic sans somehow the words just flow <laughs> and i was like that sounds very similar i was like maybe i i don't know don't knock it till you try it well i've heard that editing in comic sans is the way to go because apparently you you miss uh you know, fewer typos because Comic Sans was actually invented as a font for uh, people who have dyslexia. And so you actually read each letter individually the way that you don't in other fonts. So edit in Comic Sans, it feels ridiculous, but it works. 
That is good tip. I have this problem where sometimes I'll accidentally write a scene, like for instance, I'm thinking of like a romantic scene between characters in my first book to a song that I don't really enjoy at all. And then I crave to play that song every time that I'm writing a scene between the two characters. (laughs) And and after, you know, three years of working on this series, it's driving me a little crazy. (laughs) Oh, no, you don't you don't switch it up ever. Well, I do switch it up, but I, I feel like like every time I put like a specific song on, it puts me in the mood for that, even though I don't actually like that song. And so I've, I've gotten myself stuck a little bit. So, yeah, I, I don't know what that's about. It's like a Pavlovian technique. <laughs> I was going to say, I've got the same thing. I've listened to certain soundtracks or certain albums when reading stuff. And now to this day, I cannot listen to any Moby music without being immediately (laughs) transported back to the summer I read all of Harry Potter. (laughs) Yeah, it's Moby and Chlorine because I've read it all in the pool. (laughs) That's funny. Did you intentionally read all of Harry Potter to Moby in the background? I had I had just bought one of the the most recent albums when the last book came out and you know they came out during the summer so I was reading them in the pool at, at my vacation house and just you know it, it just came together like that. So now Moby and Harry Potter are connected to, in my mind. That's interesting. Like, I feel like I've been recommended like a peanut butter and mayo sandwich. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> like they go well with other things, but I've never imagined them together. Maybe it's. Maybe uh, yeah, it's I cool. would not recommend Moby for <laughs> setting the mood for Harry Potter. <laughs> yeah, I, did, I just didn't picture that beat. So how about you, Michael? Do you write to music or do you have playlists that you use? It kind of depends. Uh, I've I've gotten used to uh, just with my situation with the two young kids and um, how I trained myself to start writing um, was I was working a lot during my schedule. Thankfully, has switched in this last few months, but I, I used to work during the night. Then during the day, I would be home with my kids. And so it was just, you know, then like a four and a two year old just running around. So so really just uh, I. I didn't have a choice in a lot of the music. I wasn't going to like make them sit through specific stuff just to set my mood. I had to just kind of learn to adapt to just anything. And my daughter was mainly doing a lot of the requesting since she's the older one and she was into a lot of ballet stuff. So incidentally, I got used to um, a lot of writing to a lot of uh, Tchaikovsky and children screaming. Oh, and that there was, you go. Um, <laughs> what a soundtrack. That's how I got it started. Uh, Did you find usually, that that and, informed the mood of whatever you were writing? <laughs> it was uh, maybe I don't know. <laughs> Actually, I never really framed it in reverse. It was just I, I just figured out how to get into the tone, but also be available to stop mid sentence in case somebody hit somebody with something a little uh, too solid, right? Um, and <laughs> you know, just kind of clearing the scene. So. I don't know. I I actually have to kind of get into being more intentional because in a lot of ways, just with the young kids, I've done a lot of sneaky writing. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of my right because I can't write. I write to music occasionally and it's been varied. There's for a lot more of my moody stuff. I guess I do listen to more moody music, things like that. But it's that's a small percentage of what I've trained myself to write with if that makes sense um, yeah so i don't know i'm just not as used to it i'm not against it but i'm i'm still reforming all of my habits now so this is fun to listen to i'm gonna be listening to a lot of moby and writing in comic sans <laughs> using music to set the mood is actually what helped me uh reconnect with my words because i i do the same thing i mean i've got my one and a half year old and my five and a half year old And yeah, you have to write in spurts, you have to write on your phone, you have to scribble down notes wherever you can, or wait until everyone's in bed. But I find that using music to trigger where I was Mm -hmm. uh, can actually help me get back into that that space a lot more quickly. Oh, yeah, Yeah, definitely. I I mean, I guess I could see that being very helpful, because I mean, technically, I was doing a lot of the same stuff. I was just matching. Uh, I was like, okay, the kids are happy playing. We, we, We have some uh some good ballet music back on let's just get back into it so maybe just figure out how to match moods again because i mean that's that's a good point it's almost like the way you study is also the way you take the test best so mm-hmm. ah. yeah i guess cool. you're just setting your own triggers in a way <laughs> yeah yeah definitely 
So is there anything else that you do, uh, Sarah, to get in the mood to write? You mentioned that you like to write in crowded places. Well, um, so I've got so much going on in my life and in my head that if I, if it's quiet and simple and everything is focused on the writing, I can't write. I've got so much going through my head. I've got to-do lists. I've got laundry to do. I've got to put away the mail. Uh, so having something else that my my active mind is shutting out mm-hmm. actually allows me to focus better. I don't know if it's an ADD thing or what, but crowded bars actually give me enough white noise and stuff that I'm actively working to shut out that right. I can focus better. So yes, that sitting in a bar with a cocktail in my laptop is is one of my favorite things. That's great. Yeah, I probably do about 90% of my drafting in a coffee shop because my writing time is generally when my kids are at school. Um, And I'm a freelance writer also, so I always do my paid projects first. And then whatever time I have left over, I uh, work on my uh, fiction. And and I concentrate a lot better when I'm in a crowded space. I think because, yeah, when I'm at home, I'm I'm thinking of, oh, I should be doing this chore, that chore, or, you know, this project that's on the list. And, and when I'm out, I kind of just have to focus. And I also find that when I do um, look around and procrastinate, I'm doing a little more people watching, which sometimes informs my story in a way that it wouldn't if I was sitting at home. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. I guess just actually finally reflecting on it. Um, one thing I got in the habit of doing, uh, which is a weird way of setting the mood, I suppose, is I stopped, I stopped writing when it's comfortable. Mm. Let me rephrase that. I stopped (laughs) stopping writing when it's comfortable because I used to just write until I was like, okay, this feels okay. This is, this feels like a good stopping point. And then I'd come back and I'm not quite sure where to pick up, but um, I forget where the advice came from or where I read it, but I would just try to you know, give myself some sort of arbitrary mark and just stop in the middle of something, even if it's like an action scene, because then it's still churning in my mind throughout the rest of the day. Right. Um, and I'm not feeling comfortable in that empty space. I It's, it's still because before I really started getting in a good habit of actually writing and writing and writing, which is what you need to do, I just would kind of brainstorm, brainstorm, brainstorm. So I always liked that. I haven't let that go. It sounds almost like the opposite of setting the mood. You're just like keeping the mood going. It's just forever in your head. Yeah, that's fair. It's just uh, trying to stop at a place where it's just not comfortable to me yet. Um, But I mean, it's it's really just kind of trusting that you're still going to be able to write the words and you're still going to have to edit, 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 edit. It's just, (laughs) you know, how well is the pace going to pick up? And and when. You know, if, if I'm in the middle of like, oh, OK, everybody's settled. I just got, you know, lunch in their faces. Um, we just got a good playing situation going on. Uh, having a definitely like an irritating space that I've been waiting to type is a lot easier to pick up. That's for sure. <laughs> right. Yeah, I think that works best in, in first drafts and, and when mm-hmm. you're just getting the ideas down because uh, oh, yeah. I I can stop at any time with drafting and, and stuff because I find setting setting a pace actually comes back through in revisions. I mean, I am terrible with first drafts. I despise them. I I just it irritates me not to know what's happening. I need to know what's happening. I need to have more control over it and the the drafting stage is terrible for me. So it's like I just need to get the words down and then I can set the mood when I'm I come back to it in revisions. See, I love writing my first drafts. I just hate reading them. <laughs> I think that's true for most of us. <laughs> it's so much fun to write it, and then you're like, you're like, yeah, it's done. And you go back, you're like, oh, damn it, <laughs> this is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> that was not what was in my head at all. It's so much better. I imagine, though, Michael, that the the stopping mid scene also makes it easier, even though, you know, it's turning in your head throughout the day. But then when you sit down to write it, it it probably makes it a little easier to jump back in and start being productive, I would imagine. Yeah, usually. And that's what I found. It was was purely something I just tried. And I was just like, I'm going to be irritated the first time I try this, but I'll give it a try. And because that's that's definitely what I've been open to. I, I certainly have no mastery on this craft. So I I am always happy to take any sort of advice, including like I'm, I'm already picking up things from this. I'm going to listen to the opposite mood music and things like that. It's it's all 
it's all just experimentation and uh, there's never one way. So that's actually part of what's fun about it anyway. Yeah. Isn't that true about all of writing? It's like every, every time you start a new piece, you have an entirely different process. Yeah. No, I, I don't think there's, I think there's this weird feeling that, that everybody's got this one way and it's just going to be that way. And once you find that one way, you're just home free. But you know, maybe if you're writing a similar story over and over, maybe, I don't know. <laughs> It's never been that way to me. I, I well, I don't even write the same types of stories, so I'm I'm not anyone to speak on that anyway. <laughs> um, oh yeah, I'm, I'm jumping from a space opera and now working on an urban fantasy, and and my process is completely different for both of them. And I'm I'm starting to outline a contemporary I don't know contemporary fantasy ish thing, and it's very different as well. Like the moods have to be very different for me to write all of them. So, Sarah, how do you do that? Like, if you are, say, writing a dark scene and you're in a really good mood or or vice versa, do you have any tricks other than music? Or do you find that really hard for you to write a dark scene if you're in a good mood? I can't write it. I'll I'll come back to it later. I'll I'll write something else. Okay. Um, I'll either go back and, and revise and correct something that I've already written or I'll jump to a future scene. But if I, if I need to write something really dark and I've had an amazing day and I'm all giddy or something, <laughs> I can't write the dark thing. Mm-hmm. I, I can try to set the mood with music or, or sometimes watching something dark will help as well. Uh, like find a particularly dark episode of Buffy. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> nice. Something I've seen a million times, so I'm not intellectually engaged in it, but it has the right trigger to get me in that that headspace you know like watching uh oh gosh watching the episode where her mom dies where buffy's mom dies that'll get me in a terrible headspace every time well i'll just spoil it for me all right oh gosh (laughs) i know this is this where i admit i've never seen does it count 20 years later (laughs) (laughs) that's funny yeah i think we've all had time there's no excuse spoiler I'd be curious, Jackie, uh, one thing I, I I have no idea how it's like, because you just turned in the draft for a sequel mm-hmm. to a book you already published. So, I mean, what's the difference in the mood? I mean, like you, because I feel like in a lot of series, I read them and there's this great, you know, when they're coasting that there's, there's still a tone connecting everything, but you know, mood can be different. Yeah. I mean, what was that like? How do you approach like you've got this thing that everybody can buy and read and it's out there and you're about to do the sequel? I mean, what what are you doing sitting down with the draft? I mean, what Yeah, it it was it was tricky and some of it was kind of going back to those triggers for me with the first book, like familiar songs and music for specific characters. Uh and then another thing that I do separately in the sequel, so the my first book Sarah is like a dystopian sci-fi. Um mm-hmm. and the sequel is actually told from multiple points of view in a way that the first book is not. So that's been really tricky is just kind of getting into different characters' headspace. It was it was hard, but it it kind of was a little more freeing as well. The first book was told from only uh first person and uh you know the character really didn't know anything other than than what she she could see. And so this has been a little more freeing where there's kind of more of a omnipresent narrator happening as well. But yeah, I had to kind of just ask myself who I felt like writing today. And most days I didn't write multiple characters. Uh, I I had a hard time jumping between, you know, two different characters. And so that's really interesting. Did you like spend like an entire week with one character and then, then switch to the next? Yeah, maybe, maybe I spoke wrong that it, maybe it was just through, you know, sessions. So I'd sit down and if I'd have an hour to write, you know, I would really kind of feel drawn to finishing a certain person's story or expanding on a certain person's story. Um, And I, I did have a hard time jumping between the characters. Otherwise they all kind of started to sound the same, but yeah, I can't say that I've mastered it either. So I'm, I'm excited about this episode to kind of get some other tips and tricks because it was really, it was challenging for me, you know, to switch between the different moods. What do you think influenced the the different moods for each character? I mean, what 
did you find like if you had a great day you were in the mood for a certain character and a frustrating day put you in the headspace for another or um definitely there's uh there are some characters where it's a little more they're they're in a little bit of a happier place and there's a little more um you know discovery and positivity and then there are other characters that are really just you know, inside of a cell for almost the entire book. <laughs> and so depending on how grumpy I was or how much of a day I was having, I'd feel like, oh, I think I can do this character justice today. Well, and you uh, have kids, so you know what it's like to be locked in a cell for a little while. Right. <laughs> so I try to bring that that energy that I was feeling to the character, but I've always kind of surprised myself. And, and I try to remember this in the days that I that I really feel like I just do not want to write today. It's the last thing I, I want to do. I'd rather do anything else are often the days that I write my absolutely favorite scenes because there's just some kind of energy and frustration that just comes out in whatever I'm writing. And so I try to not huh, hold myself back from writing on those days and, and try to remember that, that, you know, writing is kind of a catharsis for me. My stories tend to be a little dark. And so, yeah, I just try to lean into it, I guess. So you're definitely a, a also the advocate for the right everyday thing, which seems essential to me. I... Yeah, I mean, I, I like to say it, but I, I mean, I don't always do it. And I tend to be cyclical where I'll have, you know, a month where I write every day and then I'm really craving a week or two of really not writing at all. And so Fair. and I give myself permission to do that for the most part. So is this sequel like you're writing like is it switching back from different perspectives? Is that what you're saying? Like you have different uh... multiple points of view or? Uh, yeah, so basically the first book was all all uh, Patch's point of view, and the, the second book is told from her perspective and also from Oliver's and, and the compliance officer's perspective. Well, that's cool. See, I, I feel like that gets into a big thing to me. I feel like a lot of my mood in the writing, uh, and that's uh, – in the first draft, it always goes better for me anyhow. It's one of my favorite things is dialogue. Mm -hmm. You can see a previous podcast for that. <laughs> Um, but it's because you have to, you know, too often in like drafts, you'll see, you know, the dialogue is uh, matching the narration in the fact that like different characters are tonally sounding the same. Right. Um, and to me that as far as setting the mood, you really, you know, you have to be able to have your characters have color, have different yeah. ways of saying things, have different perspectives and be able to put that out. Um, so to me, I, I think dialogue drives a lot of it. You know, that's a lot of the first person narration to me, like yeah. my last short story is, it's pretty much all first person narration and somebody uh, approaching death, but it's also, you know, it's, it's in a not always dark tone. Yeah. It's, it's a sad story, but that doesn't mean it, it's actually meant to be uplifting in a way. So. And I think sometimes you have to go back when you're in a different mood and, and scan your scenes and make sure that you got across what you wanted to. Yeah. And, and have your, you know, in my case, wife read it. Yeah. <laughs> I know this next book I'm writing is like a heist thriller book. Um, and I've been listening to a lot of Queen. <laughs> oh, I love that. That sounds like it's going to be the perfect tone. Nice. <laughs> Well, do y'all, uh, Michael, you said something about writing in first person versus third person. Do you find that writing uh, in first person, you have to be more in the headspace of that character? Or do you find it's it's prevalent across first or third? Um. Well, yeah, I would say no matter, at least when I write, I still want to give uh, the narrator in third person uh, a personality to me. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of more of the enjoyable things is still... Uh, to me, I, I've seen them like with you've got a very straight narrator, but still like the descriptions are beautiful and it's as terrific. Um, to me, what I've found settled best is still having um, a certain amount of color to the narrator, some sort of perspective. Uh, perhaps they aren't, you know, 100 percent eloquent. It's not like, you know, it's, I, I guess the best example I can think of definitely, you know, without trying to make people read stuff that is hard to find of mine because it hasn't been published like Lemony Snicket, like the um, one of my favorite things I've ever read is that approach to a narrator. If is that whole um, that whole series of unfortunate events, I don't know if you've ever read it. Well, the Princess Bride does the same thing, where the the narrator is its own very distinct character. 
Yeah, and I love that. It's still somebody detached. So not, I mean, those are more extremes, but, but even to a certain extent, like, uh, I mean, like Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, it's still kind of a sarcastic, almost, you know, sometimes snooty, you know, like personality to the narrator. Stephen Bruce did that as well with uh, his his trilogy. I can't remember the names of the Phoenix Guards and and all of that, but they uh, it was told from a very scholarly, snooty, uptight Parfi. Uh, it was his name, and and he was he was an unreliable narrator, and he's he's commenting on all these things and has a very distinct voice. But it it definitely sets a mood as well. Yeah. No, I think, uh, I, I mean, I like to, it, despite, I mean, my first two publications are little um, short stories that are, you know, more dark or sad or, you know, that sort of thing. But I, I do also, uh, not yet published, uh, rather in my novels, I like writing humorous stuff. And that's where I, I guess I gather a lot more of the, the third person narrator. That's where I've enjoyed it the most. Just getting an idea that you're still writing not as yourself. I guess is the best way I can think of. Because when I write in third person, it's almost just too much like I'm telling the story. I guess I don't like the paints, the uh, the color that my own voice gives. But so, but that's just my own thing. I mean, uh, in the writing circles, it seems like there's the first person is you know like less professional or whatever versus like the respectable third person past or whatever. But no, I like I like the immediacy that a first person gives. I feel like I'm more invested in a story with first yeah. person. Yeah, and it's always going to be, you know, perspective. And that, that's where I appreciate the first person is that it does come from a dialogue standpoint, that you are talking. And that's how stories started. It was just people telling each other stories, actually speaking them. So that's, to me, where it's it's more fun. It's more honest to me in a lot of ways. Um, you aren't, like, touting an MFA. You're just you're telling a story. <laughs> <laughs> not that there's anything wrong with MFAs. No, there's not anything wrong. It's, uh, maybe I'm jealous. It's fine. Yeah, <laughs> true colors coming out. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, what, what about you? Uh, your uh, your book? You said uh, Gravity's Air. Is that oh, yes? That Gravity's right? Air. H e i r, like the one who inherits gravity. Nice. Okay. So what's what's that told in? What perspective do you have that going on in? Uh, that's in third person, um, which is is rare for me. I usually prefer to write in first person. And and an earlier draft, actually, I did write Gravity's Air in first person or at least the first 40, 50,000 words of it. Mm. And it just it just wasn't feeling right. The character, uh, my main character, Lena, uh, is, is a little tortured. Um, she's a little in a bad place in her life. So limiting the perspective to hers and her voice uh, was limiting the story too much. So I had to rewrite it from a third, third perspective. And it, it opened the world up a whole bunch more for me and also allowed me some distance from her because I think writing her was putting me in a bad place. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and I, I had a similar experience with one of my, because uh, I was writing a, uh, I, I mean, I still am, um, a sci-fi novel that I wrote in first person and it was, it was okay. But, uh, you know, going through it, you know, I realized the advantage of third person, of course, is that you can describe anything and switch times to anywhere. Um, so you do have a nice big, so I guess it depends on how open it needs to be. Yeah. Limited versus, uh, uh, omnipotent. Well, let's talk a little, this seems like a good kind of segue. Let's switch to talking about setting the mood for our readers and some of the tricks that we use, uh, within our story to kind of show the readers, the atmosphere or the tone of a certain scene. So what do you guys generally, what are some of your fallbacks? Or, you know, telling the reader exactly what they're supposed to be feeling in the moment. I really switch up a sentence structure. And and it sounds a little weird, but the longer the sentence is, the more descriptive, the, the more I indulge in the sensory, the slower the pacing. So I'm able to do that and say... Uh, thinking scenes or love scenes or anything that's not high octane. <laughs> and when I really want the, the reader to feel something, I have a tendency to shorten up my sentences and give a lot of sensory, like hard hitting sensory booms and shocks and uh, staccato thoughts are interjected a lot. And I know that can 
bring that speeds up the reading process so it can elevate the heart rate of the reader and bring them more into the action and keep them turning the page and turning the page and oh my god what's gonna happen and then letting it just drop at the end of the chapter because i mean that way yeah <laughs> but that sounds uh, totally awesome um so <laughs> that's <not so> much- <laughs> mean uh, really if we if we admit it all of us as readers just want to be you know pissed off that we have to keep reading until either the book's on our chest and we're fast asleep or (laughs) we're late for something i mean that's really what we want to do as readers we just want to be late for everything and the excuses that we're we're reading we're stuck reading Um, exactly we want to be sucked in yeah yeah no i i think um one of my favorite things to go back and just make sure that um, tonally things are correct is to me, one, one thing that's really important is the first lines, mm-hmm. um, especially in the book. It doesn't have to be like the first line is just like right off the bat. Just awesome. It just, you know, in that first paragraph, at least, you know, let on that it's going to be quirky or, or funny or weird or straightforward or heartfelt, something like that. Right. Really setting the expectations. I mean, I love it when first lines, like, just nail it for the rest of the book. Like, I think my favorite example has to be The Martian. Right. I remember picking that up and what the first line is, like, something like, I'm pretty much fucked. Yeah. And that's it. <laughs> that's, that's the first line of the book. And you're like, okay, uh, okay, I'm just going to keep reading. <laughs> it's just like, well, that's it, so it, much voice and, and expectation. I mean, you're like, uh-oh, someone's in trouble. or Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And and also that they they have uh, a personality about it. It's it's not like, you know, I, I might die is a totally different thing. It's a panic. It's uh, almost a reservation. Things were looking bleak. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like and not completely giving up because there's a pretty much in there. It's it's a it's a beautiful sense. Right. I think within the first paragraph, you know that Mark Watney has a sense of humor about his yeah. dire situation, which. Yeah, it's perfect. The entire mood of the book. Because, I mean, you end up drawn into him and it's his perspective. And the fact that you're drawn into him so quickly mm-hmm. and all these really, you know, really, it's, it's, there are intense things happening. It's really well told and you still get caught in the intensity. Right. But the, the fallback is that you care about this guy because he's, he's got a good sense of humor. He just seems like a good, smart guy who you, anybody could talk to. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, I always, that's one of my favorite modern examples of something to follow. Find that that sentence. <laughs> what about you, Jackie? What's one of your tricks for setting the mood in your, your readers? You know, it's so interesting because as I was planning this episode, I'm trying to think of like what I do intentionally. And I think so much of mood just comes out as writers unintentionally. Like as you're talking about shortening the sentences, it's like a lot of that we just do naturally because we're in the mood writing these scenes uh, that we're trying to get across. Um, I do tend to kind of bring weather into my stories um, and set, you know, darker conversations in actual physically darker locations interesting yeah and i don't know i you know i don't know if i'm really meaning to do that until i go back and kind of see the patterns and some of the things that i've written so it's not even necessarily planned out when you do that i don't think so but i think a lot of writers do that is that we are so trained you know in the you know seeing stories through our entire lives through movies and shows that that these kind of things are related to one another an ominous location then kind of kind of means like an ominous story twist i feel like i i kind of try to play with that like i subvert it right i I put my most crucial scenes it's like okay everything's happy and everything's going great and look at all this these people celebrating and these beautiful colors and i'm like i am setting you up because in about five chapters all that's going to burn down. <laughs> right. And then you play with the reader's expectations because they do cling on to these story cues that have been learned over time. Exactly. So flip that on its head. How about you, Michael? One thing I wanted to know is, do you tend to change the moods during your short stories or are you just kind of like, this is the mood of this story? Um, I guess it kind of depends. Uh, I, I would say for the most part, altering it's it's just like turning different dials mm-hmm. in the within the same mood um starting out with several different aspects and just what am i going to play with here like my uh my most recent 
uh, short story, um, the end of the beginning, um, it's it's starting out with just um, you know it, the narrator himself is is just a man who um, he's he's openly saying that he's on his deathbed, mm-hmm. um, and just but he's ruminating on you know whether or not death is a foe and it's it's or or you know what is the actual trick here what is what is wrong what is right and but the emotional part uh is is coming in because it's starting out as just almost uh somewhat philosophical but still he's talking about his life you're getting to know the guy but playing with it it's always kind of in that way dark but it's it's brightened because there's a lot of actual positivity optimism in it Mm -hmm. and then at the end it crashes in because it's actually bringing in the elements of his family being there with him what that means and when that all kind of and that's that's why i wanted to bring in is that there's that that dynamic um that it's not all bad but there is still something to be upset about that's how you know that kind of ended so uh, the whole thing is is still i'd say i i was in the same mood writing it the whole time but I guess specifically with that subject of, of death, it's it's still marrying, uh, and I was trying to do it intentionally, marrying the the different kind of stages of of grieving. Almost, it's all encapsula- encapsulated by the same awful event, but right. there are definitely different different waves in that ocean. It sounds like a lot of that story uh, revolves around mood. I mean, changing the perspective on on your approach to death and what what your different moods are. In response to that, sounds like a, a very complicated short story. <laughs> That's a fair thing to say. I mean, it was it was definitely something more one of my more personal ones. But uh, I mean, yeah, it's 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 something that's uh, just kind of hard to capture anyway. But I uh, I think what lifted me through it was that the really the point of me writing it was to kind of get through that death is not the worst thing to happen. In fact, there are good things about it. You know, it's it's not it's it's still without breaking into circle of life, um, <laughs> but it's a uh, uh, but keeping that in. I think that was the whole thing. I kept yanking myself up, saying no, this is good, and making all the trying to get all the good points, but still at the end, letting it all kind of roll out the way it would naturally. Right. Well, how did how did you do that? I mean, did you play with the pacing of it? Did you play with your word choice? How how did you capture so many different perspectives on one thing throughout the story well it's all in first person from the character himself and how he's choosing to embrace death and that never changes the whole thing is him basically kind of explaining uh how he's like welcoming it almost even though he's had a good life but that's it he's it's just kind of uh, your little reflections on how good his life has been versus you know how to accept how suddenly his diagnosis came um and then where to go from there and then also it's in his own way in a very short time because the reason it's a short story is that it's basically just him you know kind of going through his final moments it's just the different aspects of his life that are bringing the different moods Uh, you have a philosophical part you have a family part you have how you've seen yourself it's a more change that, in perspective thing. Yeah. Um, it just kind of depends on what he's uh, almost just kind of thinking about or reflecting on is how the mood shifts. And then the whole thing just becomes the the, uh, the way it shifts at the end is that the focus becomes physical, mm-hmm. which is, and that's it because that was the final bit. Well, and, so. and that makes a lot of sense. And I think a lot of stories, um, you know, depending on if you're writing first person or third person, it really is just kind of how your main character is feeling in their surroundings. And so in the beginning, it may be like this big David and Goliath thing where you're just feeding into this unknown. But then as they become more familiar, then they relax and therefore the reader relaxes and the, um, you know, the text becomes more relaxed. And I think my story is kind of uh, surround that similar theme of walking into something that feels very overwhelming and very anxiety ridden. And then as it becomes more familiar then the mood shifts. Yeah, no, I remember that about your first book, Jackie, you, you uh, it was cause that was obviously a very, <laughs> uh, the subject uh, itself was, was very much harping on, uh, well, reality. Um, and st- still is, it was a different perspective on it, but um but the it, you know it, it, the the carrying over is is all dark 
and and anxiety riddled but but you still have the breaks in there and it's like what you were saying with sarah the pacing i mean obviously you know you can't just keep hitting the button over and over and over oh yeah you got to give them time to breathe <laughs> yeah exactly and i'm looking forward now i i know i've well, I, Jackie, your second book's not published yet, but it will be. It will be. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing how you juggle the different perspectives and, and shifting uh, from one to the next. Well, it just got turned into the publisher, so I'm sure it'll change about 70% of the way now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The hardest part's the weight, too. It's funny because in the beginning with the first book, it felt very overwhelming. And I'm actually really now with the second one looking forward to that collaboration. So... Yeah, I'm viewing it very differently, I think. I'm ready for someone to bounce oh, ideas off of and, and tell me what's terrible and what needs to change. When you find that that right person who's on there with you, yeah, there's nothing better than being <laughs> whipped into shape. Um, <laughs> I'm loving the innuendo in this conversation, too, once we added the whip in. And... <laughs> <laughs> so do you guys use a lot of sensory details in your story? And does that shift with the mood? So I'm I'm big on the dialogue too. I think I start from internal monologue and dialogue, and the sensory detail has to come in in later drafts. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not where I start, so I guess I I do use it to help craft the scene a little bit better on revisions. But once when I'm initially writing, it's dialogue, it's action, it's mm-hmm. thoughts, um, and then the sensory details help round it out. Um, I know they can be very crucial to shaping the mood, uh, but they're not, they're not the first tool I use. Yeah, I, I'd say that's, that's fair. Uh, a similar process, I, I think. Yeah, that's, that's kind of more adding the spice to the, the dish, I guess. You exactly. Know, uh, you've, you've got your key ingredients, but you need to add some spices at the end. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of that process to me is, I mean, I, I, I love writing first drafts. Like I said, it's just reading them. Um, because once you get that story out, it feels better to me and you get married to the idea that you're going to, okay, you're going to make this thing good. You're going to know what this is. It's just, uh, I've got, I've got a sandbox now. I didn't even have a sandbox. So now let's build a castle and, uh, it might be a really crappy sandbox. It may be a cat visited. You don't know. You've got a, a it's more a litter box than sandbox. Yeah, exactly. So it's when you scoop out the shit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> He's scooping out the shit, and a lot of that shit is actually, in, to me, ends up being, um, like, I, I don't mind. I just write whatever adverb I want the first time, but mm-hmm. scooping them out and changing them is is essential to description. I feel like it's okay to just put the cat shit of adverbs in there all over the place the first time, um, because once you find them and you realize you want to say something different, uh, it actually automatically converts into better sensory detail and description right um because something's not somebody's not doing something you know lazily you know they're you know there's a lot more <laughs> detail to that like why are they feeling lazy how do they look being they're lazy? dragging they're creeping along there yeah what sort of sounds are coming with that what's what's going on are their joints creaking are there i like that you're not you're not using so much descriptive language like describing the scene but you're using more descriptive word choices to help set the mood mm-hmm. yeah yeah and i i feel like it's okay to put the adverbs at first they're almost like directors like because sometimes when i write and i i know that i'm gonna put a certain scene in and i'm just not feeling it i'll just like put in brackets like um you know this happens here and then just skip on to the next thing and then just come back and i almost feel like that's what adverbs are in the first draft Come back. Describe this later. Right. <laughs> For now, you're doing you're uh, you you are looking at somebody um, sheepishly. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's just it. Okay, let's just move on. Because yeah, like I like you said, Sarah, the first draft is a lot of like let's just get down dialogue action, dialogue action. So yeah, yeah, fair. <laughs> well, do you have anything new you're working on right now, Sarah? Like what's what's your what's your next book? You said. Well, I'm, I'm working on an urban fantasy. Uh, I love reading urban fantasy, and I, I wanted to write something set in my hometown of Atlanta. So I'm writing about a half-human fairy princess turned bartender uh, who has to track down a serial killer uh, without dealing with her mother's 
uh, fairy court. Hmm. And of course she gets dragged into court politics and it gets all very, very complicated and her lives are at stake and other people's lives are at stake. And it's a story about family, but it's a lot of fun. It's just vibrant characters and you're not sure who the villains are and it's a lot of fun. Are you through like the first draft right now? Or are you? Where are you I am through about two thirds of the way through the first draft. I'm, I've gotten myself into a corner, so I have to start over, but I'm counting that as a revision. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Fair. <laughs> and uh, I'm just going to write straight through to the end by correcting all the corners I've written myself into. It's <laughs> kind of very similar to my writing process as well. Yeah. <laughs> so how's that starting? Is it as a third person, first person? This one, this one is in first person. I tried writing it in third person because that's where I was uh, from my previous book. But this this character really had a voice of her own and is so reluctant to get involved in things. I really needed her internal monologue uh, to shape out the story. This is the Mazzy Star book. Yes, this is the Mazzy Star. (laughs) So yeah, it doesn't sound very Mazzy Star. She has a fondness for the the nineties. She's about 80 years old, so she's she's kind of a little older. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's funny. I like I like how you approach opposites, like bringing it back, like listening to something opposite, and it kind of influences your mood uh, to what you're writing, but also getting into it. I'm almost picturing you like writing a very you know somber scene, but uh, like listening to Queen. <laughs> <laughs> Don't stop me now. no that's awesome are there any resources that either of you have for our listeners on this topic like that you found useful any writing books or websites oh yes i'm I'm stepping over to my bookshelf right now have y'all done any of the uh thesauruses the emotion thesaurus the action thesaurus have you seen those i have one of them and i can't remember which one it is i did that do they do genre specific ones also I think so. I'm, I'm looking They're like the large, thin books, right? Yes. Let's see. The Positive Trait Thesaurus, A Writer's Guide to Character Attributes, The Negative Trait Thesaurus, A Writer's Guide to Character Flaws. I've got The Emotion Thesaurus, oh, yeah. A Writer's Guide to Character Expression. So you can signal all sorts of things like suspicion, somberness, peacefulness, loneliness, and they tell you what, what the emotion is. And like 30 different physical ways people manifest these feelings, their internal sensations, mental responses, all sorts of stuff. And they're incredibly useful for shaping the mood of something. Oh, that's great. Without, without saying, oh, they're very, they feel very guilty. Right. Or this person is very frustrated. Instead, they're pinching their lips together or pacing in short spans or clenching the jaw. And it's, it's very, very useful. So I highly recommend those. Yeah, I've, I've not even heard of them. If I remember correctly, so. too, they have this really useful color palette in each of them that I, I feel like oh, I've yeah. used many times. Well, that's great. Was it that like that? Is it like that color wheel type well, of no, thing? It's I more always... like here's 20 alternatives to the word pink, you know, <laughs> just yeah, I feel like I've used it a lot. Um, but yes, I remember those. I forgot that book was on my bookshelf. So thank you, Sarah. I'm going to get that out this week. Yeah, I use it all the time in revisions because I have too many times where I'm just telling you, very guilty, very frustrated. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, that's great. So that's once again not a bad. I like I, I like that about the first drafts. So you can you can find those words like very mm-hmm. and just that find and do do a find and replace and then just like separate sentences. You can be like, oh god, another very, and then you just figure out the better way to do it (laughs) uh did i ever tell you my find and replace story which just drove me insane for like weeks michael no so i had in this new story i'm writing which i've been kind of writing off and on for like two years uh the main character's name was natalie and she had a nickname so she went by nat sometimes and i decided to change it to maggie so i did a search and replace but i didn't do just the whole word so so then i was left with words like inter maggie (laughs) shinnally Oh, no. throughout my entire oh. book <laughs> oh, always man. do the find and replace with the spacing but uh, around the word oh man yeah, yeah. i was just yeah 
How about you, Michael? Do you have any resources you would recommend on this topic? Um, I think I just found my new resources, honestly. <laughs> no, I, I've actually just uh, most of the time I've um, I've relied on um, beta readers, mm-hmm. uh, just giving them things, giving them little highlighted things, especially even just, you know, my wife. I appreciate her because she is thankfully not a person who will just say it's good. In fact, she's very good at telling me when things aren't good. which is is really really that's more of a best friend quality so someone who can rip your guts out exactly and uh and then and she's also you know willing to do so and live with me so that's (laughs) so it's it's just a good resource to have but sending people just little bits uh i think the beta reader thing i've i've had poor um out comes with and i've been one of the poor outcomes with other people with uh, just handing over your entire work and saying you know please read it let me know and instead just saying you know here's here's like my worst part right now can you read this like i'm i'm really struggling with this part can you just tell me what you know these 2500 words what's going on what's wrong right and um a lot of times they'll see with their nice awesome new different brains what's (laughs) what's going on and give me, and a lot of times it is uh, about the mood. Like it's just, it's just like, yeah, this whole thing is flat. You know, you need to do, you know, like what Sarah was talking about, just, just a lot more sentence variation. What am I doing wrong? Oh, like starting every, you know, three sentences in a row with he, and it gets just monotonous. Right. <laughs> so it's, it's just a different perspective. But uh, those books sound brilliant. So I'm, I'm, yeah, check that out. Well, Sarah, why don't you tell everyone where to find you? Uh, sure. I'm all over Twitter and Instagram. I'm uh, at Sarah Muse, S-A-R-A-M-U-S-E on Twitter and Sarah.H.Bond on Instagram. Um, I'm also at my website, www.sarahtbond.com. Um, I am horrible about updating about myself, but I do a lot of reviews and cocktail pairings of all my friends. Uh, I, I pair cocktails uh, with my friends' books. So you'll get you'll get a drink and a book and it's awesome. I love that. Um, yeah. That's great. That is <laughs> it's a lot of fun. I really enjoy doing it. And I get an excuse to read all the good books. And then um, my book Gravity's Air is available now. It's uh, on Amazon at barnesandnoble.com, but definitely uh, I recommend ordering it through independent bookstores. So I love I love mine nearby. Yes, very wonderful. Cool. Thanks for listening to the Writing Block podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode, and we'll subscribe to hear our future episodes, including our upcoming one on writing and mental health. We have some great topics in the pipeline, and we release a new episode every other Tuesday. We want to thank all the wonderful members of our Writing Block community. You can find us on Twitter or Facebook or online at writingblock.com. Okay. Thanks, everyone, and happy writing.